Hey, this is Emily. And this is Bridget. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. Today, we are thrilled to do a deep dive into the biography, the amazingness, the politics, and the poise of the one and only Maxine Waters. Auntie Maxine. Auntie Maxine. As she is sometimes fondly known on the internet and in my heart. <laughs> um, yeah, Auntie Maxine is a really amazing kind of political figure. Um, right now, she's all the rage. She's in memes. Pictures of her looking very unimpressed or sort of taking Twitter and social media by storm. And I think that's because she is just so dang great. She I love how authentic she is. So authentic. Um, she's just this, this voice for truth and reason and sort of standing up for what she believes in. And I love her so much. I love her too. So she represents a district of California just south of Los Angeles. Right. Or maybe it is South Los Angeles. Right. I guess it depends on. Yeah. She's near Manhattan Beach. She's near Long Beach. She's representing LA girl, a pretty <laughs> boss and pretty fly LA district. And so I think she can also get away with politically being flamboyantly and unapologetically liberal. Totally. And like kind of antagonistic. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why people yeah. kind of love her so much is because I think, you know, in the age of Trump and even before that, I think people are thirsting for le- like legitimate, you know, authenticity in their politicians. No one wants someone, right. not in the like Donald Trump way, like I'm just going to say whatever kooky thing pops into my head. But in the way but not of like, far from it. right? But like someone who is like being real with them and doesn't seem like they're. She takes no guff from yeah, nobody. Doesn't take any guff. <laughs> and yeah, I think like one of the things that people really that really resonates with people about her is that she just reminds me of every sort of unimpressed <laughs> black auntie I've ever had, right. who doesn't care if it's like the wrong time to say it or mm-hmm. you don't want to hear it. Like she's gonna say it, and I think that's one of the reasons why we kind of fondly know her as Auntie Maxine. I think she's mainstreamed like, throwing shade Mm -hmm. in the political arena. I agree. And what's funny is, I think all of the hyper-liberal, like, white folks rally behind someone like Elizabeth Warren, Mm -hmm. who also takes no prisoners, calls it like it is, but she's so... She does it in a very different way. She's so Massachusetts. Totally. She's so, like, New England, and Auntie Maxine is such a opposite and equal reaction. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's like the the unabashed, unapologetic liberal agenda, but with a very different presentation. Right. And we need both, frankly. <laughs> like do. there's room for all of us and we need both. Um and so just like what you were saying, the thing I love about Waters is sort of she comes from this very sort of like the like the where you th- what you think her upbringing was, it, right. it is that. So she moved to LA as a young mother of two. She started working at a garment factory and a telephone company and then eventually ended up getting a job in um, a small neighborhood in LA Watts as the assistant head teacher for the program Head Start, which is the program that yeah. like, helps at-risk kids, you know, get a head start in education. And so I just Wait, love wasn't Hillary like a big part of making Head Start a thing? Oh. I'm pretty sure that I I not only heard that on the campaign trail, but it was one of like the champ, the programs that she championed as, as first lady. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right to me. <laughs> Look it up, ladies. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and so I just love that she kind of came from these, I don't want to say humble, but just like very, like a very specific background. The same way that it's like, I think it's really cool that Barack Obama started as a community, community organizer, organizer, even though some people think like, oh, like, what is that? Oh, community that organizer. Um, hey, guess who else started that one? I'm just going to say, you know, Barry and I have a lot in common. 
call us, Barry. We'll, <laughs> we'd love to have you on the show. We would. We would. Friend of the show. And so, yeah, she really worked her way up, um, you know, from a, from a supervisor of volunteer services and parent involvement, where she taught parents to, quote, take control of their children's educational destiny. And again, mm, I, love that. I just love that her work was grounded in this total, like, person-to-person, parent-to-parent, kid-to-kid outreach, right? Like, not sort of in an office somewhere, but actually helping her community. And I love when public officials go into politics after starting on, like, not just a receiving end, but getting involved in public service Mm -hmm. pre-becoming a politician. So Head Start is a government program. Right. And guess what? Government can do great things. I think we hear a lot about government waste and cutting and slashing, but Head Start's a perfect example of how... The government, the United States government has leveled the playing field for kids of all economic backgrounds to get a level start when it comes to education. Totally. Which is the key to success. Right? And I love, I mean, like, and how great is it, like, working with babies and, like, right. little kids, right? Like, I, I think that we have this under, this idea that, like, to go into politics, particularly, like, for men, I think, like, yeah. you need to have been, like, a high-powered a attorney business or man. a businessman or what, or, like, some sort of, you know, field that we think of as, like, connected to finance or money or power. Right. Or and, law and, like, understanding. Right. And I think it's, right it's you can, at least in my book, I feel like you can tell when someone has mm-hmm. gotten there from, you know, person-to-person, like, community-based outreach. And I think how great, how much better would our government be if it were full of people who started off in the classroom or started totally. off? You know, I, I just interviewed uh, Elizabeth Esty. Mm-hmm. who's a congresswoman from Connecticut. Actually, she won in the district where the Sandy Hook shooting oh, wow. took place and, and took office right before that unfor- horrible, tragic wow. event happened. And when I was interviewing her for my Forbes column, I said, you know, you were a full-time parent before going to run for office. Like, what did that feel like? And granted, I don't want to gloss over the fact that she has a, like a law degree from an Ivy League school and she was a high powered attorney. Um, in, she was actually working, clerking in the Supreme Court mm-hmm. Justice's office, but she walked away from that to become a full time parent, raised her kids for the better part of a decade and then ran for office. Wow. I mean, I think when we have politicians who have a very diverse array of experiences, specifically experiences having to do with child rearing. I agree. That we are better off because that's part of how government makes a big difference in people's lives. Public education, programs like Head Start. And I love that Auntie Maxine brings that background to bear in her work. And I think it really, really shows. And so she -hmm. really, you know, it's it's in the classroom and working with teachers and parents and kids is where she says that she learned to organize. And something that I think is so important is, one, just like you said, she got her kind of like political background, her sort of cut her chops in this community organizing, you know, environment. And B, that she was surrounded by this like, I mean, in my mind, it's a, it's a choir of black women who taught her to organize, taught her to work with parents, taught her to work with teachers. Yeah. And she really is explicit about crediting these women, these, you know, black women who came before her as the people who taught her how to organize and like open the door for her, um, you know, being in public office. And so we talked in an earlier episode about this idea of like lift as you climb. And like these, she really like, it seems like these are women who lifted her up. And so for her, I imagine it's also very important to lift as she climbs. One of my favorite things about Auntie Maxine Waters is the fact that as she has risen up in notoriety, in public office, in leadership, she has not 
contained or sort of, uh, what is it, like warped her speech and her style to conform to a stereotype no. of what it means to be a politician. No. And that's something and that's, I love about her. I think that's what everybody loves about yeah. her. She, I mean, I can see her saying the same things that she says, you know, on the floor. She's probably is the same way, like at her family Dining cookout, table, yeah. like, you know, saying the same thing. You, I, I, I guarantee that like people in her yeah. family know her They're as like, like that's, that's her. Um, so let's, totally. I want to take a quick break, but when we come back, let's talk about some of her most famous moments on the house floor or in the media when Auntie Maxine became a sort of meme or a sort of rallying cry, someone to stand behind for the kind of politician who takes nothing from nobody and makes her voice heard in her own way. We'll be right back after this. And we're back and we couldn't be more excited to quote from what is some of the best lines I've ever read in any political transcript ever. It feels like this reads right off of, um, oh God, what's the name of the show that everyone here is obsessed with? West Wing. It's like better I than the you writers. I going to say Scandal. <laughs> okay, that makes more sense. Scandal or West Wing. It's better. Either, it's like Scandal it's meets like, West Wing. It is. It totally is. It's like very Olivia Popified, but it's Maxine Waters, the one and only, no writers behind her. So take us back to the first time when, when she became or gained some public notoriety for being a woman who had a lot to say. So she has been like, you know, we think of her today as someone who, you know, doesn't care what anyone thinks. And she's had that reputation for kind of a while. Um, she's always had this great reputation as somebody with something to say, which I love. Um, in 1994, she was gaveled off the House floor when she refused to stop loudly criticizing a Republican member she felt had badgered a female witness during a hearing. I love that. And so, just see, I mean, I wish there had been video of this or that I could find video of this, of her just like mm-hmm. loudly refusing to, you know, stop talking and being like, no, right? I'm going to keep going. And I just love that that moment was in standing up for another woman. Right. You know, she was like, I will not be silenced. Um, and yeah, it was like, um, you could think of it almost as like one of the early, nevertheless, she persisted moments. moments. Of, exactly. You know, I'm going to say what I'm going to say. Um, in 2011, she was quoted as saying the Tea Party could, quote, go straight to hell. <laughs> which again, I love. Like, she's uh. just someone who speaks her mind. And I'm thinking about all the women I work with or all the women listening who might be like, oh, I can't tell my boss anything like that. I can't say this kind of a thing in public at work or no one will take me seriously. And I think while it's true that you want to make that judgment call for yourself, nobody respects Maxine Waters less. Or I would say she still gets the job done yeah, at the end of the day. She's still very good at her like good at her job. Right. And yeah. it's all she takes risks. Okay. Yeah. These are not without risk. But how refreshing is it to hear a politician who speaks her mind like that? You can be that woman, too. Like, you can be that politician. I think Kirsten Gillibrand, the senator from New York, is also starting to become renowned as a woman who speaks her mind in this way. I think nobody does it like Maxine Waters. Right. But it's just like, it's it's something to, it's encouraging. It is encouraging. And I do think, I mean, the the politicians that we kind of think of fondly in that way yeah. tend to be people that we think of as, as speaking their minds. They're not people that, you know, suck their that suck their teeth or hold their tongue. Yeah. You know, they're they're people who really, you know. Yeah, but it's hard. I mean, there. here's the thing. Like, A, women get criticized way more for being assertive. Oh, that's right? for sure. And B, it's 
it's always risky to be that authentic. But I think in today's era, more than ever in the Snapchat era, right? Authenticity matters. It does. And people can tell when you're BSing them. And I think in Washington, especially there's, it's just so refreshing to hear from someone like Maxine Waters. I agree. And so I think, you know, I think in this day and age and the, in the era of Trump, I think we particularly, you know, resonates with people in a particular way. Um, Waters was really kind of notable for kicking off this idea that like we, that, that lawmakers should be vocally and like viscerally resistant of Trump, that they yeah. should stand, you know, stand up to him. She really kicked that off by saying that, you know, refusing to go to his inauguration and saying, you know, Hey, I'm not going to go. Right. And, you know, kind of making that. She stand. basically like boycotted the inauguration saying, quote, I don't honor this president. I don't respect this president. And I'm not joyful in the presence of this president. And I want to ask you about that, right? Because resistance, I get. I'm all about resistance. Right. I'm also a very proud American. And I'm not saying we should all come together and kumbaya around this sociopath in the White House, to be quite frank. But it does. I mean, that is that is edgy. It's edgy. I mean, that is seriously hardcore. I'm not here to, like, champion treason. I'm not saying that it's comparable to treason, but it is, it is, I don't know, man. It's a little, I mean, I think, what do you think about that? I take it back to how we actually felt during that moment. And, like, I remember, I remember thinking, like, for some reason, my big thing was around this idea that when presidents do these things that are, like, cute and cuddly, for instance, is Trump this person who spent months and months going after people that look like me, people yeah. like women, you know, yeah. other like folks of color, you know, other marginalized folks in what I feel like were very violent ways. Totally violent. Are we going to get to a point where like he's rolling an Easter egg with a baby on the White House lawn? Yeah. And like, for some reason, I found that to be like this really horrifying. Totally. And so I, I think at that moment, there was this idea that like going to the inauguration, going through like business as usual, political, mm. you know, cute and cuddly things was going to be distasteful. And I like thought respect, like, like, right. Basic and so, respect, yeah. you know, and it, it did it even other presidents that I yeah. wasn't fond of, like I certainly wasn't fond of George Bush, but right. like the idea of him rolling an Easter egg on the White House lawn didn't horrify, didn't horrify me. Yeah. And so I think That's she's true. tapping into that. that like, right. I'm not going to do, we're not going to have this. This isn't going to be a normal song and dance where right. we grin and bear it as a, you know, as someone who spent so long, you know, yeah. spewing such violent, hateful rhetoric, we're not going to act like that's something that, like... That's normal. Yeah, and we're not going to yeah. politely clap for it. I think it's, um, people like to bring it back to the respect for the office. Correct. And even if you don't respect the president, the person in the office, like, behaving in that sort of, uh, going along sort of pomp and circumstance that comes with the inauguration is about respecting the office. Mm-hmm. I think that's what a lot of people would push back and say. But... I think there has to be a mutual respect there. Correct. And Donald Trump did not bring that kind of mutual respect for America. And it's like, in my perspective, how is she supposed to respect somebody who, I mean, I, I would imagine if she, if as yeah. a woman of color, she probably feels like, like I feel very personally, you know, maligned I mean, by yeah. him, right? Like, and so it's, it's difficult. Like I'm someone who is, you know, as you might imagine, I'm very vocally critical of Donald Trump. And when people push back, like that's my, right. like, I, like I can't, make nice or find common ground with someone that I feel like has is personally denigrating me on a regular basis. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. It, it, I think she pushes the envelope and she, someone had to be this person, right? Right. Someone had to be the voice of, on behalf of a lot of us who were feeling 
Did like, you ever think depressed. it would be like an old black woman in her late eighties? <laughs> I'm like thrilled it is. I'm thrilled. Aren't we all? Like, I think that's part of the reason she went viral. So what she's gotten a lot of critic, a lot of critical sort of feedback in terms of how people are reacting to her open vocal, um, resistance, right? right. And I think the far right magazine, just last month, the American thinker called her unhinged and quote, the poster child for Trump derangement syndrome. So they're trying to make her out as crazy. Right. Like, oh, she right. speaks up against Donald Trump, so she must be Nutty. unwell. Right. And I think that's a classic tactic used throughout history to silence women with strong opinions and saying, oh, she's loony. You know, right. she's unhinged. She's Oh, what is it? Hysterical. Oh, like geez. hold that whole. Get a hold of yourself. It's gaslighting 101. And I think you know we in the South where I'm from, we have this expression: "A hit dog will holler." Oh, and basically what that means is if she wasn't saying something right, they wouldn't say anything about her, right? right. Like the point, the fact that they're you know mm-hmm. striking back and being like, "Oh, isn't this woman crazy?" We got to take her down. Yeah, that seems to indicate threatened. that she's hit a nerve. Like she's got something to like. She said something right. Well, speaking of hitting a nerve Uh-oh. and the frail pale male ego okay (laughs) the i think the biggest moment that put maxine waters on the map in recent times uh which i loved and i think so many of us responded to was this response she had when bill o'reilly formally formally of the fox news network i'll have to do an episode on that um we'll cover that his firing soon (laughs) but bill o'reilly formerly of the fox news network said that he couldn't even hear what she was saying uh, regarding some of her comments against Trump because he was so distracted by her, quote, James Brown wig. Ugh. This is so awful to mm. me for, it's like a, it's like an onion of awful where there's layers to it. That's very Shrek-like. Ooh, it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> layer upon layer, layer of BS. Upon layer yeah, upon layer upon layer. Basically, one, someone who I know who, who works in the same office as her did make this like very logistical point, which is that like, Maxine Waters is in her late 80s. She flies back and forth from California to D.C. sometimes twice, sometimes three times a week. She works, you know, insane amounts of hours. She looks amazing. So right, even if like calm gonna, down, people. Right, like, so even, like, I don't like the idea of, like, judging a female politician by her looks. But even if we're going to do that, right. she looks great. What do you what, want like, her to yeah. do? Spend, like, all of her time at Dry Bar? Like, yeah, exactly. Instead of doing her job? Like, exactly. come on. Logistically, like, I think there's that. Exactly. Layer one. Layer one. Check. Layer two. So, like, I don't know if Maxine Waters wears a wig or not. Who knows? But as a black woman who has worn a wig or two on my in my life, it's it's beyond rude and problematic to tell black women who are often you know maligned and marginalized because of their because of our hair that wearing a wig or like a weave or Mm -hmm. like braids Mm -hmm. or whatever you want to do makes a lot of sense if you're someone who like has a lot to do. Like if you're busy, you don't have time to get your hair done all the time. It makes total sense. And it really goes back to the episode that we did about feminist right. hair, where, you know, as black women, we're kind of... Ex- damned if you do. Yeah, so damned like, if you don't. What is she supposed... Like, you want her to show up in cornrows? Right. Or what like are you going to say about that? So like, None of which is a wrong move. Right, but, but like, calm be, the hell down. She's yeah. trying to, like, calm you white people down right, like, with the wig. Exactly. Calm down. The choice to wear a wig is basically saying, like... So even so, I'm not sure if it is a wig or not, but if it is, the choice to wear a wig for a black woman is very much like... I'm, my hair is going to be, you know, my hair is going to be like straight and pretty like, you know, whitish. Yeah, whitish. And like, I feel like if by making that 
by making right. that choice, like she still gets cramped on for her hair. So it's like, as black women, we really can't win. Yeah. It wouldn't matter how she looked. Exactly. It, she's going to get crapped on. And really the subtext is that, is that like, you're just a black woman. So like, mm-hmm. by making, by making a crack at her hair and calling it a wig, he's just trying to remind us like, oh, this, she, he's trying to put her in her place. Exactly. Like take her down a peg. Mm-hmm. And I think that that really, um, it, it, it just is such a problematic, messed up thing. And then the the other layer I see in this is at the end of the day, what he's actually saying is that he's not listening to the words that are coming out of her mouth. And that's that's so, so awful. fundamentally disrespectful. And I've been there. You know, I feel like all women have been there. Have you ever been in the office setting or been in a classroom setting and realized that you know your professor or your boss or your colleagues are so busy checking some part of you out? Mm. And objectifying you in some way, whether it's your hair or your body or any or your outfit or right. whatever, that they literally are not listening to the words you are saying. That is the most dehumanizing and disrespectful feeling in the world of like, I'm actually not respecting your intellect. Right. And like, yeah, like she was actually talking about something that was fairly important right. to, oh, I don't know, the well-being of our country. Right. And to him saying, like, oh, I can't even hear what right. you have to say. It's just it's just beyond disrespectful. I think we need to take a break to take a break. We're getting a little, as you can tell, I'm getting Bill a little heated. Bill O'Reilly makes me want to pull my hair out. So <laughs> when we come back, we're going to— How gonna, long have you been waiting to, say, to do that one? I just one? came up with that one on the fly. You like yeah, it? Yeah, right. I swear to God I did. Um, sometimes I—sometimes even a blind squirrel finds a nut. Um <laughs> So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to unpack the perfect and brilliant response that Maxine Waters had to uh, to Bill O'Reilly's BS comment about her hair. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. And we're back. We've taken a breath or two. I hope you have, too. Uh, and Bridget, will you do the honors of sharing with us what the one and only Maxine Waters had to say about Bill O'Reilly's comments? So her response really could not have been better. Like, I was like, I mean, I, I wanted to get this tattooed on my body. It was so amazing. You she still said, can. I might. I might. <laughs> we'll see next week yeah, what happens. Right. She said, let me just say this. I'm a strong black woman and I cannot be intimidated. I cannot be undermined. I cannot be thought to be afraid of Bill O'Reilly or anybody. Oh, that was such a mic drop moment. I was like, oh my God. Damn, like yeah. I was like, yeah, in my, we're just like fist pumping yes, in the air. When she over said here. that, there were like air horns going off in my mind. Like, <laughs> like it was the best. Um, oh my God. DJ, somebody, some DJ who's listening right now, lady DJs, we're talking to you. Please, please mix that quote. I'm like not joking. I think Beyonce should do if it. If you do that, like I, I would play it at my oh wedding. Oh my God. It's, it's like a amazing. Chimamanda. A goji, uh, yes. oh god. You know, it's like when she took her quote, Beyonce yeah. didn't put it into, what was it, flawless? Please, someone like, do that. Someone do that with Maxine Waters. Oh, and damn. that, I mean, I think women, particularly black women, really resonated with that quote because it just encapsulates all the thing, all totally. of like, this is the kind of thing that you might need to like say in the mirror while you're getting dressed in the morning to be like putting on your armor for the day. Like, yeah. I will not be intimidated, you know? And, and she, she also just came out and said, I am a strong, black woman. Right. Which is radical in and of itself. It is like, radical. It's, it's like, I think in this era of the women's march and the conversations around intersectionality right. that came out of that, I think it's really important to hold space for black unapologetic women to be like leading the resistance. Yeah, black. I mean, just being black and apologetic, some, like, honestly, some days that is a radical act a radical in and act. of itself. Like yeah. sometimes just 
putting on your yeah. fight face and not apologizing for it is like showing up in that way can be a radical act. Absolutely. And I have to give a shout out to all of my friends on social media who took that quote and ran with it, Ugh. whether it was just a post or, you know, made it a background or made a gorgeous image of it. I think there are so many ways it's been interpreted and used in a creative fashion to sort of spread that message. I think that's that's when she also got up at a press conference and said, like, you know, the kids are tweeting about it. She was like, oh, I think it's great. The, <laughs> the millennials. <laughs> Baby, I love the millennials. Like, she was, she, I mean, honestly, she owned been, like, asking my grandmother, like, what do you think of social media? Yeah. And, like, her response was so adorable. Like, it, it like, melt, ma- melted my heart. It was it melting was my heart. It was so great. She's, she says that she's giddy about her internet fame is the headline <laughs> that Slate ran with, which I think is just a perfect way um, for us to sort of acknowledge that she's having a moment She's now. having a complete viral moment. Yeah. And I think the thing that I loved so much, um, her, you know, her, her words went viral and probably my favorite, my favorite and perhaps the most delicious, delicious iteration <laughs> of her quote going viral was that someone, actually a friend of mine, Sabrina, shout out to a friend of the show, Sabrina, mm-hmm. um, founder of Be Bold Media. Mm-hmm. She, for her birthday, she's sort of known for these like empowering, amazing, kick-ass cakes. Oh my God. And she, her cake, we'll put it in the show notes. It's a sheet cake with Maxine Waters' tweet I love on it. it. So her cake I says, I am a strong black woman. I cannot be intimidated and I'm not going anywhere. And it's amazing and you need to see it. And you've got Maxine Waters' face on it. Right. And she's looking great. I hope Maxine saw that. I hope Auntie Maxine saw that. I hope she did too. I love what, I love what she's saying too about her, her sort of viral fame. She goes in an interview with MSNBC. She said, I'm so proud of the connection that I've made with these young people. They do call me Auntie Maxine. I embrace that. I love that. I'm going to be their auntie. I'm going to keep telling the truth. And I want them to get out there and register people to vote, get active, and bombard the Congress of the United States and their leadership with what they want them to do. And I love that so much because that just shows that she is not just like, like her viral internet fame is something that she wants to use. Put to use. Like, here's, like, like, thank you for sharing my tweet. Thank you for posting my, you know, my like unimpressed face on Instagram. Now go out and help people vote, right? Like, I love love that. And I think like that's, that's one of the things I think that people really tap into with her is, you know, there's this hashtag, um, trust black women. And I think like, that's what it comes down to. It's like, why people love, like, I think that we're in a moment where people are starting to realize, like, the brilliant political organizing power that is black women. And, yes. like, I think that Maxine Waters, in a kind of way, like, represents that yeah. that moment of, like, yeah, black women are amazing. And for too long, you know, black women have been the backbone of the Democratic Party. And that for too long, like, that has gone unacknowledged. And, like, that moment is over. Like, mm-hmm. black women need to be everywhere. We need to be listening to them. We need to be voting for them. We need to be, um, you know, championing our issues. We need to be all, all of things. Yes. I love it. I couldn't have said it better myself. You, you just nailed it. <laughs> Duh. I'm listening to you, Bridget. Yeah, I should get a podcast. You should. <laughs> all right. Well, I think, I think we've tackled as best we could the, just to give you a small glimpse of the brilliance and unwielding leadership of Representative Maxine, Auntie Maxine Waters. Auntie Maxine in our hearts. Adore her. What do y'all think? What do you, what's your take on this kind of outspoken, unapologetic, hyper-intersectional brand of the authentic politician that is Maxine Waters? What do you think about her nickname, Auntie Maxine, with millennials? Do you feel like that's good? Is that, you know, like, do you feel like that's 
disrespectful, perhaps, mm-hmm. of maybe like taking her title away, or do you oh, feel like I hadn't thought about that? Yeah, or do you listeners feel like that's just a way of reflecting on how close we all feel to a badass like Maxine Waters? So. I want to hear from you. Do you have a good story of how that quote was put to use? Do you have a cake? Let us see that cake. Yeah. Instagram us. Shoot us a message on Twitter. What's our Instagram handle? You can get us on the gram at Stuff Mom Never Told You. You can tweet us at MomStuffPodcast. Or you can send us a good old-fashioned email at MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com. 